The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In today's episode of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Erin Jolly, nutritionist and naturopath who has recently joined the team here at TNN. In today's episode, Erin and I discuss stress and the nervous system and teach you the powerful healing benefits of herbal medicine for both depression and anxiety. This is an incredible episode, and although you'd never know it, Erin's first podcast, and I hope you'll join me in welcoming Erin on board. Hi, Erin, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to introduce you to our listeners. As it's your first time on the show, and because you're quite new to working with us here at The Natural Nutritionist, I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about your background and then what you're really passionate about these days. Yeah, of course. So um, about seven years ago, I sort of, I guess, began my education experience within the wellness industry. So I started off uh, studying nutritional medicine and then um, after a few years after that was done, I went ahead and did my Bachelor of Health Science in Atropathy just because I think once you start in this industry, you kind of can't stop and you just want to keep adding on and adding on. So um, yeah, I just recently finished that at the start of the year and um now working in clinic with you guys as well as consulting up in the high country in the Alpine region in Victoria in Bright. And I'm also a qualified yoga teacher and have run uh, yoga retreats and corporate sort of wellness sessions up in the country and in Melbourne CBD as well. Beautiful. And I know we've got you on today to talk about um, the nervous system, which we'll dive into shortly, but I appreciate that's a, a big area of yours and something you're really passionate about um, educating people on. Yeah, of course. So I think 
sort of just became, sorry, came to me naturally um, when I sort of delved into starting teaching yoga and really seeing how um, firsthand how something like a yoga practice or breathing techniques and stuff like that can really actually relax some people and make a huge difference. So, yeah, I guess it sort of just came naturally to me to sort of find out a little bit more about that um, in regards to nutrition and herbal treatment of different sort of um, nervous system conditions in regards to stress, anxiety and depression and stuff like that um, because I think I've seen um, both clinical experience and even in like the yoga studio and with retreats and stuff like that, how much of a difference that that can really make. Yeah, um, So that's definitely sort of um, an area that I prefer to address, yeah. Amazing. And we recently had um, Damien Christoph on the show. We really explored the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system and the body's stress response. So I really wanted to get you on the show to talk about the nervous system, but also about herbal treatment and, and other treatment avenues like you've already touched on. But before we dive in, can you give us a, a bit of an overview of the body's stress system, please? Yeah, sure. So it's actually very very interesting sort of once you do get into it but um obviously as i'm sure a lot of our listeners already have witnessed within themselves that stress can play such a huge uh, role within the their own nervous system as well as other mental health concerns you know whether anxiety or depression is an issue for them or somebody that they know it's quite highly prevalent these days um so basically we have this whole neuroendocrine and stress system in the body, which is called the HPA axis, which is an acronym that stands for the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And as Damien spoke about last week with sympathetic versus parasympathetic dominance, so our sympathetic is that fight or flight response that we get, um, this actually activates the hypothalamus in our brain, which secretes the hormone called corticotropin release hormone or CRH and this is the hormone that basically signals down to the pituitary in our brain to secrete another hormone called adrenocorticotropic hormone and this is the hormone that then signals our adrenal glands to secrete cortisol which is our stress hormone and I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the word cortisol uh, but this HPA axis or stress system you could say was initially served you know back in the caveman days served as us as almost like a warning to dangers or predators or something of the like um, back in those days but these days in the western world it can get over activated over activated by little things like you know answering emails deadlines phone calls common one getting stuck in traffic and getting frustrated and a bit anxious um, even you know heated conversations or stressful relationships um, you know, things like that. So when we have this over constant overactivation of our HPA axis or stress system, uh, we've got that excess production of cortisol, um, which is what can implicate different health conditions such as uh, depression and anxiety, which is what I will sort of be touching on today as well. Yeah, amazing. And I think you're right. I think the word cortisol is something that people are pretty familiar with, but I don't know whether there's been that real connection down the line as, as to how it does relate to conditions like depression. So I'd love for you to share with us exactly that. How does stress and that HPA axis relate to depression? 
Yeah, so it's really interesting because um, it's, yeah, not often a link that a lot of people make. Mm. Sometimes I think people are quite dissociated with certain factors in their life and how it actually really does make them feel on a physiological level. Um, so a lot of studies have been done, but it's estimated that about 50% of depressed individuals do have that elevation of cortisol, meaning that obviously stress is a huge factor for them and numerous other, other people that does need to be addressed um, both short-term and long-term in the management of mental health conditions, but as well as other health disorders. So, you know, high stress and cortisol can affect things like our menstrual cycle, um, our thyroid hormone function, and even things like erectile function. So it's um, quite interesting. But in regards to the direct sort of pathophysiology of stress and depression, um, I'm sure a lot of people would have heard of the neurotransmitter called serotonin, which is um, a neurotransmitter is just basically like a brain chemical that exerts an action within the body. But serotonin is the neurotransmitter that's responsible for regulating things like our moods, social behaviour, memory and learning, our appetite and temperature regulation. But decreased levels of this neurotransmitter serotonin are highly prevalent in depressed individuals. Now, the way that cortisol comes into the equation here, so that stress hormone, it actually inhibits so it stops that production of serotonin from happening. So we actually have less of those um, happy or feel-good brain chemicals hurting action within the body. And when we've got higher levels of cortisol present in our body, it actually shunts the production of serotonin down to this other pathway called the kynurenin pathway, which ultimately leads to increased inflammation and anxiogenic substances in the body. So increasing systemic inflammation and even increasing things like anxiety. Um, so basically that pathway that occurs to create serotonin, it starts off with uh, the amino acid tryptophan, which is just um, a byproduct or downregulation of some proteins, um, and then it converts into serotonin, but that is not going to happen under the presence of cortisol. So, yeah, it's quite, it's almost like a one plus one equals two, but under the presence of cortisol, that's not really going to happen in that whole equation. So, it's quite interesting to see, um, you know, that what the implications are when we're not really addressing that whole stress response in the body. It's really, really important both, yeah, as I said, short-term and long-term in um, the treatment of depression. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really clear and thank you so much for that explanation because we know the the increased um, link between low serotonin and conditions like depression and it makes a lot of sense when we look at the the prevalence of high cortisol and how that's impacting our natural ability to produce serotonin so it definitely needs to be addressed so how do you go about treating i guess stress to start with to help the body's i guess overproduction of cortisol yeah, so thankfully, um, naturopathically, we do have quite a lot of herbs that can downregulate this um, HPA axis, so our stress system, and actually um, a lot of them have been scientifically proven to reduce cortisol levels, which is obviously fantastic, not only in um, treatment of the nervous system, but also all over the body. 
Um, so some of my favorite herbs to use in um, someone where stress is quite prevalent for them are withania and Siberian ginseng and bacopa. So I'll give you a little bit of an explanation of each herb so you can kind of understand the way that they act within the body. Um, so starting off with withania, uh, it's actually a herb that was traditionally used in Ayurvedic medicine. Um, but basically, withania does downregulate that HPA axis, so that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, and it's been proven to reduce the subsequent cortisol levels due to that overactivation of our stress system. But it also exerts sedative properties, so it's really, really useful in um, clients who might be a bit stressed, but also a little bit anxious anxious and um you know their adrenals might be a little bit overworked and they're sort of creating too much adrenaline um so it's really so nice to also calm down the nervous system at the same time um whereas siberian ginseng is also a really good one to use um if their immune system is compromised so quite often there's a correlation between uh, stress and immune dysregulation um, so Siberian ginseng not only downregulates that stress system and our cortisol levels, but it also helps boost our immune system function. So it can also be really useful um, in people who sort of have, you know, underlying sort of low-grade infections as well as, you know, being really stressed or busy at work and sort of find that they're constantly kind of getting sick. Um, so that can be really useful in those uh, kind of patients. And then we've got um, probably my favourite is called Bacopa or otherwise known as Brahmi. Uh, so it's also, again, down-regulating that stress response and cortisol levels in the body, but it also enhances cortisol, uh, sorry, um, it also enhances cognitive fun function and also increases glutathione production, so that master antioxidant in our body. So it's really, really good um, in terms of a more holistic sense. So you know, if you've got a really, really busy lifestyle or you're busy at work and you find that you get quite stressed easily, it's really good encompassing that whole sort of holistic aspect to the nervous system. So also making sure that your brain's sort of, you know, ticking over um, correctly, you're not getting any sort of brain fog and that sort of thing. Yeah, beautiful. They sound like the perfect combination. So is this something that you would uh, prescribe or is it a tincture that you'd make up for your clients? Yeah, so well, with herbal medicine, um, the best way I like to prescribe them is with herbal tinctures just because you can completely customise a mix suited to that individual. So, you know, they might have some sort of gastrointestinal discomfort um, going on, they might be really stressed and they also might have, um, you know, some sort of low-grade infection happening or their immune system just a little bit depleted. So we can actually, with herbal medicine, mix a few different herbs that exert all these different sorts of actions together to make a completely customized mix that's going to actually address each of their concerns um, and it's just a little bit it's a much higher strength than tablets often are and it's better absorbed by the body because it's a liquid it doesn't have to break down any sort of excipients that are in tablets or capsules um, yeah so that's the sort of way that we do it naturopathically is I think um, gold standard is kind of like a customized herbal tincture suited to that individual and it's um yeah it's really nice to to know that we can address several different things rather than just ticking off one thing at a time 
Mm, I love that. That sounds like a beautiful idea. So before you were talking briefly about neurotransmitters, um, but I wanted to get a bit more of an understanding from you about herbs and, and how they can positively impact neurotransmitters to have an, an impact on depression or maybe having an antidepressant effect. Yeah, so um, as as we said before, we're touching on serotonin and decreased levels of serotonin um, are prevalent in, in depressed individuals, but we actually do have some direct antidepressant herbs, which is uh, really, really interesting. There's some really great um, clinical studies sort of proving their efficacy in the treatment of um, de- depression, even in comparison to, you know, common pharmaceutical antidepressants that might be prescribed. So I'll go over the common sort of antidepressants that might be prescribed um, by your GP or your specialist, um, some of which can, um, one of which is known as a tricyclic antidepressant or a TCA, some might see it labelled as, um, which basically acts by inhibiting the reuptake of serotonin. So it basically allows serotonin to exert more of an action in the brain because because there's more of it available. It's not being degraded or um, uptaked by the cells. So it's basically exerting more of an action within the body. And then we also have um, another common antidepressant called an SSRI or a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which again inhibits that reuptake of serotonin into um, neuronal cells, basically increasing that amount of serotonin available to bind to receptors within the brain, exerting that response, giving us that mood-boosting activity. You know, it's sort of known as that happy brain chemical. So it's just going to exert more of that response. But as I said before, we do have um, herbal medicine that can be used instead of that because a lot of um, antidepressants actually have some quite significant side effects. So using herbal medicine to you know, have the same response without that side effect is really important because some of the side effects of the pharmaceutical antidepressants can include things like nausea, drowsiness, diarrhea and constipation, agitation, sleep disturbances and insomnia, dizziness, weight fluctuations, blurred vision, even rashes and hives. It can alter your heart rate um, and can even cause headaches and even sexual dysfunction. So obviously we don't want um, any of that to be happening at all. So it's really nice to know that we can offer something else that has been, as I said, clinically proven. So some of my favourites, one of the actually most well-known ones a lot of people have probably heard of is called Hypericum perforatum or otherwise known as uh, St. John's wort. Now, this elicits that um, antidepressant effect and it's actually been used to treat depression for about over 100 years, which is really interesting that, um, you know, there's always been this sort of natural alternative available for people. Um, But basically, St. John's wort uh, acts by inhibiting monoamine oxidase, which is an enzyme that inactivates serotonin. So, by inhibiting this particular enzyme, it's preventing the reuptake of serotonin. Therefore, like I said before, increasing that availability of serotonin in the brain to just basically have an action within the body. And another one is, um, I think the number one herb on everyone's mind at the moment is turmeric. 
which is otherwise known as a really powerful anti-inflammatory more commonly, but it's actually um, can be really quite useful in the treatment of depression because it prevents the degradation of serotonin and dopamine. Uh, serotonin, obviously that happy hormone, but dopamine is also um, responsible in feelings of motivation in our reward system. Um, but basically turmeric by inhibiting that the basically destruction or degradation of um, serotonin and dopamine, it's increasing their availability in the brain just to elicit more of an action. So it's really, really interesting to see um, that these quite well-known herbs that have been used for a very long time in in history of, of herbal medicine, that they actually do have clinical efficacy and have been proven to exert an action within these conditions. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just important to note um, any contraindications there because we know that St. John's wort can't be taken if you are already taking a pharmaceutical antidepressant. So please don't make any changes without working with your specialist or with your current doctor. Um, But also from a turmeric point of view, it's quite different to just um, eating it, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So um, as I said, with the herbal tinctures, um, it's just more bioavailable within the body. It's easily absorbed. And quite often these days, even if you wanted to do um, turmeric, it's quite high dose. Mm. So a lot of supplements these days might have the active active constituent curcumin um, in a tablet mixed with uh, black pepper, which actually absorbs turmeric a little bit better into the body so again making it a bit more bioavailable um and it's by extracting that active constituent within the supplement it basically can exert more of an action in the body but with turmeric i don't usually because it is quite high dose um you can't really fit too much else within a herb mix if you are doing a liquid herbal tincture for that one so that's probably the only one that i would prescribe as um, a capsule or a tablet, but there are some really, really great ones on the market anyway. But naturopathically, we still, although there is really good research for these active constituents, if you're encompassing, you know, more of a holistic view on the particular herb, we look at the herb as a whole because although you know there might be some clinical evidence for that particular constituent. There's also numerous other constituents in the herb that actually work synergistically if it's used as a whole. So I think um, in terms of that, using a whole herb wherever possible is still definitely better than certain particular constituents. Mm, Excellent. Amazing. All right. So we've covered your favourite herbs from a neurotransmitter point of view. What other concerns should be addressed with regards to depression? Yeah, so uh, these days, obviously uh, there's a lot sort of going on about gut health in regards to synthesizing serotonin but a really good analogy that I sort of like to explain to clients it sort of makes it a little bit easier to understand is imagine you're creating serotonin like you're baking a cake basically so you need to have obviously all of the right ingredients so that would be the amino acid precursor to serotonin, which is called tryptophan, which you get from um, your proteins from your food, as well as other cofactors like B vitamins, magnesium, and iron. But you also need to have 
let's say the oven at the right temperature needs to be the right atmosphere. So in this instance, there can't be too much inflammation or too much cortisol because that obviously won't allow us to make this serotonin cake. As we said before, um, cortisol shunts the synthesis of serotonin down a completely other pathway and just increases inflammation and anxiety. But we also um, need to address, obviously, gut health in this instance because 90% of serotonin is actually synthesized in our gut. So if we do have any sort of gut issues going on, whether it be dysbiosis, that imbalance of good bacteria versus bad bacteria or um, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, even um, increased permeability in our gastrointestinal cells, you can think of that as almost like holes in the oven. Um, basically, if... if there's sort of something wrong with our oven or our gut. In this instance, it's not going to work. We're not going to be able to make that serotonin cake. So definitely addressing any sort of underlying gastrointestinal issues is really important, but as well um, addressing any sort of systemic or local inflammation, whether it be all over the body or in the gut, as well as addressing that underlying sort of stress system and our adrenal glands is also really important. So it's actually been... Um, proven that depressed clients uh, do have higher rates of pro-inflammatory markers. So um, some examples of these are tumor necrosis, factor alpha, and interleukin-6. So basically they're um, pro-inflammatory markers within the body that basically just increases that inflammatory response. So using some anti-inflammatory herbs is extremely effective in not... um, not only improving that synthesis of serotonin, but also just improving the overall health and well-being of the individual. As we said, you know, inflammation is also implicated in several other conditions in the body, not just in regards to mental health. Um, so as I said before, cortisol has that action where it's going to reduce that synthesis of serotonin. Um, inflammation is going to have the exact same action. So if you've got too much inflammation in the body, you're not going to be able to Uh, create serotonin from that amino acid precursor tryptophan. So some really great anti-inflammatory herbs that are my sort of go-tos to use in numerous other conditions um, are ginger. So everybody knows ginger. Um, Turmeric again. And then we've also got uh, white willow, boswellia, and bilberry. Um, So they're all going to reduce that um, inflammatory response in the body and basically increase that conversion version of tryptophan to serotonin and also by addressing any sort of underlying inflammation in the body it's actually also going to reduce pain perception and pain sensitivity which is often also seen in um, inflamed and depressed patients so they sort of can feel pain a little bit more um, sort of more sensitive to pain than other individuals so it's sort of looking at the body holistically as we do as naturopaths it's really important to sort of address um, um, other, you know, multifactorial aspects of the condition, whatever it may be, but in this case, depression. Yeah, absolutely. And that's some really great advice. I think it's that, you know, it's the, that holistic approach, but knowing that there are natural strategies to try, I think, you know, I, I just love that message. So again, thank you for that. You're a wealth of knowledge. I want to switch gears just slightly. <laughs> to um, actually talk about anxiety because obviously it's slightly different in terms of the mechanisms. So the treatment is as well, just lay the foundations for us here um, and how you would approach someone with anxiety. 
Yeah, so when we were speaking about depression and the sort of neurotransmitter imbalance, you could say it's the same sort of thing with anxiety, but obviously just different neurotransmitters. So with anxiety, we can often see an excess in excitatory neurotransmitters. So that would be things like glutamate and noradrenaline. So if you think about excitatory, um, I guess you could say they're up and about, they're not calming. Um, But when we've got this sort of imbalance, so if we've got high amounts of glutamate or noradrenaline within the body, we can see things like panic attacks, anxiety, breathlessness and heart palpitations. But to sort of down-regulate this imbalance in our excitatory versus inhibitory neurotransmitters, we need to sort of be creating enough of our main inhibitory neurotransmitter called, let's see if I can get this right, it's a little bit of a gibberish word, (laughs) GABA aminobutyric acid, but otherwise people usually just call it GABA because it's a lot easier to pronounce. Um, But basically GABA being our inhibitory neurotransmitter has this calming effect on our body. So it inhibits our excitatory neurotransmitter. So it's going to inhibit that excess glutamate and noradrenaline production in the body. Um, so basically it calms down the hyperactivity of our nerves and nerve cells producing, as I said, more of a calming response within the body. But, um, you sort of with anxiety as well as depression, but with anxiety, I think it's really important that we address any sort of nutritional, um, deficiencies here because we need to make sure to be able to synthesize enough GABA from our amino acids, we need enough vitamin B6. Uh, Without enough vitamin B6, whether it be through our diet or supplementation, we cannot convert glutamate, that excitatory neurotransmitter, to GABA. So if we've got um, not enough vitamin B6, even if we're too stressed, it's just basically going to go down that glutamate pathway and not going to make any GABA. So obviously increasing the amount of anxiety in our body. So in regards to the B vitamins there, as I mentioned before, they're essential for creating healthy neurotransmitter synthesis and function. So we need to make sure that we're consuming really good sources of B vitamins through our food. Things like animal products like chicken, red meat, um, salmon, eggs, or we've got plant-based where you can do lentils, chickpeas, oats, uh, banana, avocados and walnuts, really good sources as well. So, yeah, just making sure that... (laughs) Yes, yeah, add that one in there, yes, (laughs) sweet potato. Um, But, yeah, just making sure that, like I said before, building that serotonin cake, you still sort of need to have that same analogy with the calming neurotransmitters as well. Yeah, I love that. That's so good. Really important to obviously have that nutritional strategy as a foundation. And then on top of that, what do you do from a herbal or from the herbal side of things? Yeah, so we actually do have um, some really great herbs um, in regards to directly treating anxiety as well. Um, So as I said before, with depression, touching on the sort of pharmaceutical side of treatment, again, with anxiety, a lot of um, common prescriptions might be benzodiazepines, which again, have that action within um, or they have a GABAergic sort of action within the body. So they do help calm down the body, but clients can quite heavily rely on them for um, treatment. And obviously we don't want that time. We don't want them to get addicted to, you know, basically a fake substance. It's also going to have that sort of um, all those detrimental side effects. So 
with herbal medicine, um, it's really nice to know that we do have a natural alternative. So another one, I mentioned turmeric before, but it's also um, really useful due to its um, powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidant actions. It also um, inhibits glutamate release, so that excitatory neurotransmitter. So basically sort of gets down to that underlying neurotransmitter imbalance that is present in anxiety. So it's going to allow that conversion of GABA, uh, so that synthesis of GABA to happen. Um, Another really good one which people might also um, recognise is kava, which obviously, you know, if you've been to Fiji, you've probably had some kava while you've been there. I think we've all been there. Um, But it's also really great um, herbal anxiolytics, so um, down-regulating that um, anxiety response, I guess you could say. So what it does is it binds to those uh, GABA, those calming uh, neurotransmitter receptors, inhibiting the release of our excitatory neurotransmitters. Um, however, with kava, it can be um, quite addictive, so you don't want to be using it in the long term, but certainly for short-term um, treatment, it's a really, really great herb um, to use. But another um, a great anti-anxiety herb that I really like and I use um, personally is called a passion flower. Um, I just really like Acronym, I think it's really pretty, but <laughs> um, passionflower actually contains GABA and it has potent GABA activity. So again, reducing that excitatory neurotransmitter sort of imbalance. Um, so it's really, really important to obviously address that in anxiety again. Um, and then we've got another one called valerian, which also, again, um, binds to those GABA receptors and inhibits that glutamate excitatory um, neurotransmitter imbalance um, but it's also a really really good hypnotic meaning that it can induce sleepiness so a lot of the time in anxiety um, it might be prevalent in individuals later in the day or it can cause things like insomnia um, so valerian is my herb of choice if you've got a patient who's you know got a little bit of anxiety but they're also it's also impacting their sleep so that's a really really good one um, that I like to use but as I said before, um, in regards to, you know, looking at the body more holistically, um, long-term management of anxiety really needs to be addressed. So there's a lot we can do short-term. But again, if you're not un, uh, addressing that underlying sort of what's actually going on for the individual, you're not really going to get anywhere. So you need to um, sort of be addressing why they might not be making enough um, of that calming neurotransmitter or why they're making too that excitatory neurotransmitter. So I mentioned with um, depression, when there's that excess inflammation or cortisol, it also plays into anxiety as well. So when you've got that elevation of cortisol or inflammation, you're again going to bypass that step of making any of the calming GABA. And it goes basically straight to making more glutamate and more adrenaline. Because if you think about it, if you're stressed, and, you know, you're on the go, the last thing your body's going to go is, oh, hey, you know, we'd better stop and sit down. Like, let's have a break. Let's just chill out for a bit. Like, that's the last thing that is kind of on its mind at, at that present time. It thinks that, you know, it's preparing for battle. It's ready to, you know, attack its oncoming predator, that, I don't know, stressful email or meeting or deadline or something that they've got coming on. So really making sure that, again, we're um, addressing the same neuroendocrine response of that overactive HPA axis 
and down regulating that stress response and excessive cortisol production and making sure that um, we're providing, for example, enough vitamin C for our adrenal glands um, as well as, you know, there's some great um, herbal adrenal tonics like Romania and Rhodiola, just making sure that we're supporting that underlying yet neuroendocrine sort of stress system nervous system management is really important in long-term treatment of anxiety as well as depression. Yeah, absolutely. And it just really highlights the the significance and, and the real healing power that nature, nature has. And I think it's just awesome that they, we have so many of these beautiful herbs that can play such powerful roles. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, um, it's, it's, it's it was just when I sort of started studying it, I just couldn't believe because I think a lot of people, there's a bit of a stigma around herbal medicine that it's like witchcraft, <laughs> wizardry, and that, you know, none of it's actually scientifically proven. But the thing that just astounded me was it actually is, and it actually does have effect within the body and all these different pathways and really understanding how each herb works um, scientifically is really, really important and obviously treating the condition rather than just. Um, you know what what its traditional use might be i think um the way i like to practice is encompassing both traditional use and scientific scientifically proven or um clinical efficacy of that particular herb and just making sure that um yeah that it is going to elicit the correct response within the body because they do um all have you know multifactorial different actions within the body so it is it's it's so interesting and i i, I get so excited about it yeah, <laughs> I love it. But it is really important to think about that because they've obviously got synergistic benefits as you've been discussing. So what I don't want is people to go out and start sort of self-prescribing and, and, and starting to take a combination of herbs. I think it's really important that you do work with a practitioner who's really aware of things like, you know, the contraindications or looking at the full picture, any other medications you're taking, and then, of course, what herbs work really well together. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. So there is, um, unfortunately, with a lot of herbal medicine, there is quite a lot of contraindications in regards to uh, medication that you're taking. So I would most definitely strongly advise do not self-prescribe in this um, respect, even though there is, you know, nowadays some great um, herbal medications available just off the shelf. Uh, it's really important that you do see a practitioner before just self-prescribing because they do actually affect different pathways in the body. So, for example, if you're taking a blood thinner like warfarin, basically you can't really take any herbal medications because a lot of, um, of the herbs actually increase our CYP450 enzymes in our liver, which are going to change the way that the body metabolizes certain drugs. So it can in increase the effectiveness of a drug, for example, with warfarin. Um, it's a blood thinner, so it could increase that effectiveness and and cause, you know, ble excessive bleeding eventually causing, you know, it could be fatal or really, really dangerous um, or it could decrease the effective effectiveness of a lot of drugs. So if you're taking some sort of blood pressure medication, then it's going to change the way your body metabolizes that sort of drug. So obviously we don't want that to happen. If you are on any sort of pharmaceutical medications, you need to make sure you're seeing a practitioner and getting um, those cross-checked with any nutrients as well as herbal medications just to make sure that, you know, you're obviously on the safe side of things or we can choose a different herb that's not going to act or impact that particular medication and vice versa. So, yeah, definitely really, really important just to make sure that 
you're not self-prescribing because there are a lot of yeah contraindications and cautions that do need to be addressed. Yeah, I completely agree. It's been so fascinating to speak with you on this topic today. It's just, yeah, it's mind-blowing how much we've got right at our fingertips that maybe has been hidden from some people. So we've got to get this information out there so that we can, you know, help anyone or anyone that you know or any loved ones that might be experiencing some of these nervous system challenges. So Erin, tell us more about where we can find out about you online and for anyone that's looking for that one-on-one or individual support how can they reach you yeah so well you can just go through our um our website thenaturalnutritionist.com.au or you can go through the mind body app you can find me on there um we can do skype or face-to-face consultations or if you're sort of not sure how herbal medicine can sort of help you or you're just intrigued as to um how you think you know, naturopathy or nutrition could help you. We do offer offer 15-minute complimentary consultations just to sort of sit down and have a chat or have a chat over the phone about any sort of concerns you may have. Um, But, yeah, you can just get in contact via our website or the MindBody app. Amazing. And I really encourage everyone to definitely think about that complimentary consult. It's a great way to meet you for the first time. You can learn or have some of your initial concerns addressed if there's certain areas you're not sure about, or even if you're not sure about what working with a naturopath or nutritionist looks like. They're, you know, everyone does practice quite differently. And, you know, I'm a big believer that it's a relationship. So you and your practitioner, you know, you want to make sure that you're choosing the right person to help you with your health and certainly with your longevity. So you can book that online and I'll pop a link in the show notes so that you can go there direct uh, via your podcast app. Erin, it's been so great to have you on the show. I'm I'm sure we'll speak again soon, but thank you again for your time. That's okay. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.